0: Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now we're thinking this morning about these first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4. We've been going through the book of Ephesians and seeing the wonderful teaching that's there, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of salvation, and uh, Paul has under the spirit by his the spirit's inspiration has written these things not only for the church at Ephesus but also for us that we may also learn so many wonderful things about what god uh, has done and we come now to the more practical section of the letter as his custom is he starts off with doctrine and then he moves to the practical application not only what we should know in our minds what we should believe about the Lord, but also how we should walk as his people in this world. How we should walk as he's going to show us. In fact, these next three chapters is more or less all practical, and he's dealing with, firstly, how the believer should walk in the church, in church life with his brothers and his sisters, and then he's going to show how the believer should shine in the world and be a witness and what sort of a character he must have when he is living amongst unbelievers. And then he's going to show uh, a a third part, how to live at home with a family, husbands and wives, parents and children, all three very important areas. And the, the Christian life is not only for church. It's not only something you bring out on Sunday as a Sunday best suit you may wear. It's for 24 by 7. Wherever you go, you should be a Christian wherever you go you should carry the badge i'm a christian i belong to the lord now, if you're in the workplace you're a christian of course sunday you're a believer and hopefully every sunday you'll show yourself as a believer by attending church but uh, in in the home especially that's the hardest place isn't it sometimes to be uh, uh, your true self that's or rather that's where we are our true self but that's where often the challenges also come most but so in every area we are called to display a Christ-like spirit, to be like the Saviour. Not to put it off when we're at home, but wherever we are, friends, to be a, a, a Christian. And that's what these chapters are about. Well, in these six verses, his focus first is on the unity of the Spirit, the unity that exists between believers. And he's going to talk about the walk of the believer in the church he has been teaching them already as we said about their calling verse 1 i therefore the prisoner of the lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called they had come to christ there was a time when paul and others came into the city of ephesus and preached the gospel to them and they responded They believed the things that were heard. When Paul said to them, Come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He will forgive your sins. He will give you eternal life. He will give you peace with God. He will reconcile you with God. And He will take you to heaven when you die. They heard that invitation to come to Christ. And they responded. And there was something going on in their heart. We call it the inner working of the Spirit. The inner call. And these people, though they felt in their hearts, yes, I want to follow Christ. Yes, I want to be a Christian. Yes, I want to believe in the Lord. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I want to follow Him and give my life to Him. And they responded in that way. The outer call came through the preaching mainly, and then they heard it inside, this call to follow the Lord. Have you heard that, friends? You've heard the the, the invitation has gone out to you. Many times maybe you've heard the Lord saying, come, believe on me, I will give you life. I will give you life, spiritual life. I will give you eternal life. He has the power to do this. He has the power in his hands to give to you eternal life. If only you will come. If only you are willing to come. Will you come? Will you accept these things? Will you receive him? Then he will give these things. Have you heard that inner call in your heart? Do you have that inner desire in your heart? Do you feel the Spirit of God moving you to come to the Savior, to give your heart to him? And come, friends. Don't let anything deter you. Don't let anything prevent you from coming. Say, Lord, in your hearts, you can say to him, Lord, I'm coming. I come and I give myself to you. I believe uh, in you. That's what these uh, Ephesian believers did. And he taught them, uh, isn't it? He taught them that what happened to them, that their salvation wasn't by chance. It wasn't a chance happening. It wasn't uh, just happened out of the blue. This was something that was meticulously planned by God. And he, we, sh- we saw all the way from chapter 1 how their, their salvation didn't, only, didn't have begin in time, but it began in the eternity past. And God chose them and he elected them, and then the, the Son of God came, and he died for them and gave his life for them. And then in time, uh, in their lifetime, the Spirit of God began to move in their hearts and to make them to see that they were sinners and they must believe in Christ. And He worked in their hearts to bring them uh, to uh, salvation. And he's been explaining these things to them. And so much more. He went on to talk about the privileges and the blessings that they now have in Christ, that they are sons and daughters of God, children of God, that they have this hope of heaven now in their hearts and aspiration for heaven, which we'll mention in a minute, access to God uh, through Christ. Freely they can pray uh, to Him. And there's and especially these who are on the whole Gentile uh, believers, they were, uh, Paul has shown them repeatedly, He's been going beating the same drum, as it were, for a while to show them that they're on equal standing with the Jews. Save Jews, save Gentiles. Equal standing, no difference anymore. That middle wall of partition has been broken down uh, between them. And they are now a one. And so having taught them these things, as we said, he now moves uh, to uh, this practical application. We move from the doctrine class to the application class and the outworking of these things in the church and the world and the home. So verse 1, yeah, as I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He's in a Roman prison uh, because of preaching the gospel, because of preaching the good news. He has been imprisoned uh, for the Lord's sake. But from that viewpoint, he says, I beseech you, That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He beseeches them. He could have used his apostolic authority. He was, after all, an apostle. And he had the authority to command. He had the authority to just tell them, this is what you should do. But he beseeches them. The word uh, here, beseech, means to call near. To call somebody near to you in order that you can speak to them. And encourage them and exhort them on, like on a one-to-one uh, basis. And that's what he's doing here. He's urging them, exhorting them. I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord, walk worthy of that high, of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Or walk worthy of the calling wherewith ye are called. Well, there's a lesson there for all who are preachers. This is how we must address our congregations not in a commanding way, not in a way that is authoritative, I'm higher than you, I'm better than you, I've got more power than you. You sometimes hear some preachers preach in that way, not in a domineering way, but but in a a, a beseeching way, a reasonable way, a reasoning way. We try and persuade people to follow the Lord. We want people to obey the, the Lord. Our call, our urge is for people to obey the Scriptures. Preacher has no authority. The man has no authority given to him. Our authority, my authority, is the Word of God. That's what you must bow down to. That's what you must listen to, not a man. And that's so important in these days where people are, some preachers are telling you, you have to listen to me. You have to do what I say, or else. Well, that's not, that's not right. We do as the Word of God says. But we are urging people as preachers to walk worthy Walk in a manner that corresponds with your high calling. You've been called to such wonderful and great privileges. You've been granted so many great benefits as a believer. Now live a life that is corresponding to that, suitable to that. Keep that in mind wherever you go uh, uh, throughout the week. Walk in a worthy manner. And he goes on to say, especially now in terms of the church, church life, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. This is how believers are to interact with each other in church, in lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, there is, I think, an assumption here on Paul's part that the believers are meeting together. There is an assumption on his part that they're meeting together often, and they're rubbing shoulders with one another, and so probably, because they're rubbing shoulders often with one another, they're probably also rubbing one another up once in a while, because that's what happens. We're believers, but we're not perfected yet. There are still foibles, there are still weaknesses, there are still things which are not quite right uh, with us. And here he's assuming that the believers are not only worshipping together, but they're interacting often with each other. There's a lot of fellowship going on uh, in this church. There's a lot of activity in the Lord's work. Uh, together they are serving as well as uh, worshipping. And, of course, there are, in that those times is to eat together and share a meal together. And uh, these were Jews and Gentiles, people from different cultures and who spoke maybe different languages and had different ways of doing things. And so all these things would have... Come into play uh, in their uh, communication with one another. So it's bound to, there's bound to be some uh, differences, there's bound to be some conflict, petty conflicts, we could say, uh, between them. We're not all peas in a pod, we're different. There's different things about us. People have uh, uh, foibles and eccentricities and different things. Uh, Some people may be odd, but they may think you are odd. So this is how it works, isn't it? But what Paul is saying here, in spite of these differences, and sometimes people do things which are, well, unwittingly they may do things which irritate or annoy us, you must respond in the right way. Be prepared for such a thing. I think that also helps us if we we know that offences are going to come. People may hurt us with their words, at least that some mental sort of Preparation, But here what Paul is saying, uh, respond to such offences, respond to such annoying things, the little things in life which, which happen in the fellowship with lowliness and meekness and long-suffering. If you're on your own, you're not exposed to such things. If you're on your own and you worship on your own most of the time and you don't rub shoulders with with other believers so much, well, then you don't have this opportunity given to you, as it were, to grow in grace. Not that we go around provoking one another to say this is an opportunity for you to grow in grace. That wouldn't be right, of course. But in in the natural occurrences of life, the natural things which happen, if we're on our own, then we may think we're growing in grace, but we've never been tested. You've never been put in an environment where somebody does poke you as it were and somebody does prick you and somebody does annoy you and then that's when 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 those things happen and you respond in the right way then you can say the lord is working then you can say or that's an area if we do respond in a bad way that's an area i need to work on that's an area i need to focus on that's an area i need to pray on you see that this is how it helps us to grow in grace as we are uh, together some believers, we know, do keep their distance from others or are on the periphery of the church. It may be because they've had an unpleasant experience in other, other churches. They've been hurt by somebody else's words. Or something has happened which has so, said, well, I'm never going back there again. I don't like such and such a person. And that's a common thing that happens. Well, friends, if that's happened to us, uh, it's probably, if it's a minor offence... It's probably not the best way to deal with it. If it's a minor thing, well, the best thing to do would be to overlook it. That's what Paul is getting at here. If it's just a small, somebody, somebody annoying, a word that somebody said, or somebody didn't do something, somebody didn't say hello to you in the morning, and you're expecting them to, or some other small thing. Well, overlook it, friends. It's, it's not a big thing. But if it's, if it's a major issue, yes, of course, don't brush it under the carpet. If it's a major issue that must be addressed, something serious has happened, some serious conflict between you and somebody else, or something serious in the church has happened, yes, bring it up with that brother and sister. That's the biblical way. Go and talk to that other person. If they don't listen to you, well, you bring it to the church. Or you take another brother first, and then you bring it to the church. So with a view to healing those divisions and sorting out those difficulties that have come up. So we, Paul is not uh, Paul is encouraging us rather to exercise these traits, and they are an opportunity for us to grow in grace. Well, let's just look briefly at them. Lowliness. Well, that's humility. All lowliness. This is how it starts. Something in us, something inward. Low thoughts of myself, not high thoughts. As a uh, be not high-minded, the apostle says in another place. Be low-minded. We could say, think lowly of ourselves. Think of ourselves as small, because we are. We are small. Excuse me. We are small. We're not great. We're not. We. We're so limited in what we can do. What can we do, friends? Well, how much can we achieve? How great are our gifts? Even our gifts that we have are imperfect in so many ways. Oh, friends, we should think more about our weaknesses rather than our, about our strengths and have a true estimate of ourselves. We're not asking that you put on a, fo- a phony sort of humility, uh, but uh, have a real sensible view, a sober view. Oh, yes, I can do this and that by God's grace, but such and such is out of my league, or I cannot. Op- Lowliness is the opposite of Pride. Pride is something we all have to fight against as believers. Even today and tomorrow, you'll have to fight against pride. For the rest of your days, till you enter glory, you will have to fight against pride. Friends, when somebody offends you, or when, when, when offended, pride says, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who you're, you're dealing with? But uh, humility, on the other hand, prepares us to overlook the offence. So this is the first thing, is a lowliness. But then meekness is the next thing, with all meekness. And this is gentleness, uh, a calm inner strength. The world says meekness is weakness. Oh, if you're meek, everyone's going to walk all over you. Oh, it's, it's a weak thing to be meek. It's far from a weak thing, friends. It's a, it's a strong point to be, uh, to be meek. To have, one, to have control of one's spirit, well, that's a very hard thing uh, to do. But it's something that we are to uh, cultivate and develop. Do you remember in the Old Testament how Shimei uh, cursed David? David and his men ha- were having to leave Jerusalem uh, because uh, his son Absalom uh, was, was going to come after him, was, was uh, uh, trying to kill him. And so he was on his way out with his servants and his soldiers and uh, Shimei, this, this man, started cursing the king in a terrible way. And one of, uh, one of David's men said, uh, Abishai, I think it was, let me, let me go and take off his head. That's what was his response. And David's uh, immediate response was, no, let him curse, for the Lord has bidden him to do this. That's meekness. He had the power to retaliate as a king. He had the, the soldiers with which to retaliate. But he didn't do that. He said, leave, I take it from God's hands. He looked past that that man and his evil words to God. And then the greatest example of meekness we have is our Savior, isn't it? He said, come unto me, all ye who who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. It's a Meekness is not a weakness. And think of all that he went through. Think of all the Savior had to endure, especially towards the end as he was going towards the cross. The taunts, the needlings that he had. Oh, you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, do that. The false accusations that were put against him. The provocations that were made against him, the physical things they did to him, the spitting in his face, the pulling out, plucking out of his beard and so on and he was innocent and he had the power to respond and to call down fire if he wanted to or to call down the angels to to his aid and help him, but he didn't do that he kept control of his spirit in the midst of many provocations, he kept silent, Isaiah 53 verse 7, you know it well He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So for us, friends, also, uh, there are times when we need to speak. There are times, yes, when we need to clear the air and we mustn't keep silent, but sometimes there are things we can just let them go and pass over it, especially in the home with husbands and wives or children. And parents, they're bound to be infractions, they're bound to be uh, things said and done which may be uh, annoying, but we, we brush over them if they're small things. And then long-suffering, as the word suggests, long-suffering, putting up not just a single injury, but maybe repeated injuries that come our way. Forbearing one another in love. This is why we do it. This is why we respond in this way, because of love because of the love we have for one another. So I'm going to be uh, meek, so I'm going to be patient, so I'm going to be long-suffering with my brother and my sister because I love them and I express that love uh, in this way. So friends, this is uh, what we need to cultivate these graces and these are the things that will contribute to the peace and the unity of the local uh, church. And then verse 3 Paul goes on to say, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. There's a lot lot of talk, a lot of talk about unity uh, these days, and has been for many days. For many people, uh, many Christians, it's the primary thing. The main thing is uh, we must be united. We mustn't be divided. Division is no good. Let's all be united. Let's all come together. And uh, the people who say this uh, are the different denominations. Different Christian denominations say, well, let's develop uh, closer relationships with one another to promote Christianity. Let's put aside our doctrinal differences. They've divided us for too long. Let's put aside those doctrinal differences even the fun, some of the fundamentals of the faith, so that we can be uh, united uh, together. And the, the basis for, for this kind of thinking and, act, and activity is usually taken from the Lord's Prayer in John 17, where the Lord prays that they all may be one. Again, taken really out of context. If we had time, we could show, show, it, show you that. But this is ecumenism, friends. This is ecumenism, started in around 1910, still with us today. All the different Christian religions, Christian denominations rather, are coming together, saying, let's forget about our doctrinal differences so that we can just be one united uh, Christian group. You have the World Council of Churches, and also here uh, in England specifically, churches together in England. And if you go to their website, you can see. Different churches represented there, Anglican, Catholic, Elim Pentecostal, the Baptist Union of Great Britain, and so on, all t- joining hand in hand and saying, let's be together. Our friends, is this the unity that the Bible speaks of? Is this the unity of the spirit? It cannot be. It cannot be because uh, it's uh, the unity of the spirit is different. This is a man, this kind of uh, unity, is a man-made unity which throws out doctrine. Doctrine is at the heart of our un- unity. Doctrine is that which unites us together. That's what Paul is going to go on and say. He's going to go and show us seven things which unite true believers. We cannot, for example, uh, join hand in hand with, Catholic, with Roman Catholics because they teach a different way of salvation. They teach a different way uh, to get to heaven they have a different gospel to the gospel that we preach. How can we join hand in hand with uh, Roman Catholicism? We cannot. sad to say, even one of the greatest, one of the most well-known, maybe, evangelists of our time, uh, who's now passed away and whose son has recently been, even in the UK, traveling in the UK, well, he used to have Roman Catholics on his, Roman Catholic priests on his platform as well. Uh, when he's preaching the gospel and when people will come forward for his meetings, he would send them back to the Catholic Church. Well, they would be sending back to another gospel. It's different from the gospel of grace and salvation uh, that is in, in the Scriptures. This is the gospel of works as, and grace. Oh, friends, uh, we have to be aware of these, uh, of these things. In fact, things have gone even further than just Christian denominations coming together. If you've seen, as I'm sure you have, some of the special uh, services in Westminster Abbey or at uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, well, you'll see there uh, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, uh, everyone, uh, Orthodox Greeks, all of these coming uh, together, sitting side by side. So this ecumenism has sort of gone further and embracing all religions and, let, and saying, let's all come together. We're all praying to the same God. Well, oh, friends, this is not the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is different. The unity of Spirit is the work of the Spirit in individual hearts and bringing that person to faith in Jesus Christ and then unite, uniting that person by faith to Christ and uniting that believer to other believers who are also united to Christ. That is the unity of the Spirit. And it's Paul tells us here endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit. They're not trying to manufacture it. They're not trying to uh, get together. Let's get together and let's try and create a a unity. It's a unity that already already exists. It's already there. And Paul says, keep it. Watch it. Do your best. Strive. Endeavor. The word is strive. Make a determined effort to guard the unity that you have. Make every effort uh, to keep it. Be a uh, guard, guard over it, watch over it because even in this true church even in this local church where uh, believers are united together schisms can come in, divisions can come in, unhappiness can, can can happen and so you must be careful as a local church not to allow these things to happen do your very best, strive keep, to keep these things out uh, 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 sadly some churches, well they're, they're riddled with suspicion and tension and there are unhappy members who avoid one another. And even though they're worshipping together, they won't say uh, hello to each other or greet one another. Friends, uh, Paul is saying, don't let such a scenario happen in your assembly. Uh, watch over the unity. Cultivate uh, friendship. Cultivate kindness. Cultivate peace. Be a peacemaker. Be, a, be always for peace in the church uh, in, the, in the right way. Of course, where doctrine and it means you have to stand up for doctrine, you still have to stand up. There are times when we, we must do that. But on the whole, generally be uh, for peace and, uh, and loving uh, one another as brethren. And then I move very quickly to the verse, last two verses where he mentions these. These are the seven things that unite believers. And i just go through them very quickly. But these are the, the common things you will find in every believer, as it were. These are the things that unite us. This is, this is the, the creed that we, we ascribe to. This is the hymn sheet that we all uh, sing from. Every believer sings from. Firstly, there is a one body. We belong to one family. Every believer is in the same family. There's a family in heaven and earth, the invisible church. All the believers, as one family. But we are, as we we could say, a microcosm. The local church is a microcosm of that invisible church. And so we belong uh, to this one body, the body of Christ. One spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the spirit who resides in every believer. By him we are made a part of the church. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Every believer has the Spirit of God. One hope of your, uh, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling. We spoke on this before, chapter 1 and verse 18, about the Paul was praying that the, the hope, the anticipation that was in their hearts would increase, they would understand it more, grasp it more, the anticipation of heaven. Every believer has given to them by the Spirit an anticipation of heaven, that they are going to glory, that they're going to be uh, with the Lord. And they're looking forward to it. There's a growing, as one goes on in the Lord, there should be a growing anticipation of it. As one ages and gets older, maybe even more, we, we, we can see, as it were, the celestial city and the hope builds up in our hearts. I'm going to be with the Saviour. I'm going to be in, that, in heaven, that holy and happy place. Do you remember Pilgrim and Hopeful? Uh, when they neared the city, in, the, in Pilgrim's Progress, And uh, it, was, it was said of Pilgrim, when he saw the celestial city, he desired to the point of sickness. He longed, he panted uh, for uh, what he saw, the joys and the happiness that awaited him. In heaven. That's something that we desire as well. Uh, The hope of our calling. We know uh, of the wonderful things and expect uh, wonderful things, the future glory prepared for us. One Lord, verse 5. Well, we have a common Savior, but also a common Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Supreme Ruler. He has bought us with His blood. We belong now not to ourselves. We belong to him. We handed our lives over to him. So now he dictates our life. He tells us what to do. We're no longer our own. The big decisions in life, well, we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will for me in in, in my life? We don't quibble at his commands. We obey him, friends. If his word is clear and plain, we know what he wants us to do. Well, we remember that we are his servants. We are following him, one Lord. Every believer is like this, isn't it? One faith, well, that is referring more to the objective faith rather than the subjective faith we, each individual has, but that one objective faith, the fundamentals of the truth that we believe. One way to God, one way of salvation, the deity of Christ, Christ the God-man, and so on. These are the the things that every true believer will hold on to. If a church denies one of these fundamental truths, then we cannot fellowship with them. We cannot if we are, we won't be of the same mind, so we cannot agree uh, with them nor come together to pray with them. One baptism that's speaking of even the water baptism and what it symbolizes that a the inner change that has happened in every believer. How he has been uh, uh, th- through, through the waters of baptism, he's, he's showing himself as dead and buried to that old life. He's no longer going to go back to that old life. It's a thing of the past. and He's risen again to a new life in Jesus Christ. He's now living for the Saviour, a new realm in which he lives. These are the things, friends, which unite us. And then finally... Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you, in you all. We have one common Father, one whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And every child of God knows him and uh, trusts in, in him. He is, over, he is above all, sovereign, supreme, presides over all things. No one is above him. He is the highest. He is through all. That means He is working in all of us and He is in you all by His Spirit. Well, these are the things most surely believed, isn't it, amongst us and which we hold. And you can see here the Trinity, friends. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned here. The Godhead and that union. Also, we are reminded of that union between uh, the Father and the Son. The Lord prayed that prayer that we may be one as uh, the Father and the Son are also one. Well, friends, this is our message uh, for today, the unity of the Spirit. Uh, we, let us make then as uh, brethren, as brothers and sisters, determined efforts, each one doing their part to maintain this unity. It's so precious. It's such a testimony to the world and such a dishonour if, if we are d- divided, if there's schisms and the word gets out, or unbelievers come in and they see these things. It's such a bad witness for our Lord and what he can do. But to see brothers and sisters loving each other, dealing kindly with one another, what a testimony, friends, that is to an unbelieving world of, of, of what God can do. Forgive one another freely. As the Lord has forgiven us, forgive often because we'll need to. Don't hold uh, grudges, cultivate these graces. Cultivate forbearance in love. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 651. Jesus, Lord, we look to thee, 651.